So we spent a couple of weeks uh, in um, Mark's Jesus story, and uh, we're going to back up a few chapters and, and, and look at chapter one, calling the first disciples. Um, I decided we'll rewind just a little bit uh, to, to put us more in line with uh, the lectionary. So uh, if you don't know what the lectionary is, you can Google it, um, L-E-C-T-I-O-N-A-R-Y. Lectionary, the revised common lectionary, to be more specific. Anyway, too much. Mark 1, 14 through 20. Uh, the words will be on the screen if you want to follow along that way. Uh, otherwise, uh, if you've got it in your lap, however you've got it, uh, please follow along before we read that. Uh, again, that's Mark 1, 14 through 20, the calling of the first disciples. Uh, before we do it, let's pray together. Uh, once again, God, we're grateful to uh, to be able to get together this way, uh, to to have the the just the technology and the setup to uh, to be able to do this. Uh, we we are grateful. We are here for you. We are here to surrender our lives to you all of our lives. We come with expectant hearts, ready to hear a word from you. And so, uh, Holy Spirit, do what you do, please. Speak to us, stir us, startle us, change us. Make us look more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So Mark 1, starting at verse 14, before we start there. Um, so Mark starts his story about Jesus, um, talking about a guy named John the Baptist. And I'll get more into this in a little bit. So John the Baptist is baptizing people um, in the Jordan River for the repentance of sins. Um, and then Jesus comes to him and has John baptize him. And, and as he's coming up out of the waters of baptism, uh, the heavens open up, the spirit of God descends on him like a dove. And then God's voice is heard. This is my son whom I love. Uh, listen to him. Right? And then Jesus is whisked off into the desert to do, to sort of have a confrontation with the evil one. Uh, was Satan, as uh, Mark calls him, names him, uh, the accuser. Uh, and then he comes out of the desert and he starts doing his thing in and around Galilee and Jerusalem. And that's where we, we uh, pick up the story. And it goes like this. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. So the time has come, he says, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe this good news. Then as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting their net into the lake because they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fish for people. What? At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. 
Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. We will go that far. So, not a very long story, short one, but all kinds of really good stuff in there. Um, so there's this song written by this guy named Harry Nilsson. Harry Nilsson just happened to be John Lennon and Paul McCartney's favorite artist. Uh, you can look that up if you want. Uh, anyway, the song is entitled One, and I'm going to give you some of the lyrics because they go like this. I'm not going to sing it for you. Like I said that before, and then I sang the song. I, this, I'm not going to do that today, right? So sorry to disappoint you. But did you know you could look up on YouTube just about every song and find it and listen to it? You can do that after this, and you can hear Harry sing it. It's even better. Anyway, it goes like this. One is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. It's the saddest experience you'll ever know. Yes, it's the saddest experience you'll ever know, because one is the loneliest number you'll ever do. One is the loneliest number, whoa, even worse than two. One is the loneliest number? Like, he's right, right? Like, generally speaking, we don't really like the number one. Like, the only time we like the number one is at the end of the season when we want our team to be number one. Like, we got Chiefs and Packers fans around here, and they're just waiting for the Super Bowl. We're like, we want our team to be number one. That's when we like the number one. Or we like the number one when our school district is consistently rated as the number one in education in the state. We like number one when it's like that. But other than that, let's think about it. One, it, it kind of stinks. Right? We don't we don't do one thing anymore. We multitask. We've decided that it's not good to put all our eggs in one basket. Right? We don't want to know one thing. We want to know lots of things. Like people who do what I do, preachers, we don't ever just have one point. We have to have three points and like lyrics to a song or a story or something else just to make things interesting. Not very many of us have just one TV. Most households have one, two, three, four, sometimes five TVs in different rooms, and we have access to thousands of channels. Or if we have streaming service, we have, we have on-demand TV whenever we want it. We, the options are absolutely endless. Some of us have more than one cell phone. Like, we don't like the number one. We don't like to be alone. We don't like to go places or do things alone. We believe in one God, but in one God, we have three persons. And if you can explain that to me adequately, I'll give you a million dollars. In other words, you can't. But there's something intrinsic about God that is community. It's one. God is one, but more than when, when God created the first human being, God looked at the first human being and said, it's not good for this human being to be alone. So created another one. Now we've got community because one, well, one just sort of, sort of stinks. Everybody needs somebody. We all need a team around us. So here's the deal. When Jesus walked on the dusty roads between Galilee and Jerusalem and he was doing his thing, even he decided, yo, I need a team. 
I, I need a, a group of people to make this thing go. And if you start at the very beginning, briefly talked about it earlier, you start at the beginning of Mark, you'll notice that the first two stories sort of, uh, sort of have Mark pointing to Jesus as the one. It starts with John the Baptist, and part of his job was to prepare the way for the one that was coming. You see, the people at the time were expectant. They wanted a Messiah, an anointed one, to come and save them, right? So they were looking forward to the one. And so John was preparing the way for him. Part of his message was this, after me will come one more powerful than me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. In other words, this one is big, is huge. It's going to change history. It's going to transform the whole world. And then John baptizes cousin Jesus in the River Jordan. And when he comes up out of the water, the heavens are torn open. The Spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove. And you can hear this, you can hear the voice of God saying, This is my son. He's the one. Listen to him. And then immediately Jesus is sent by the Spirit into the wilderness to do to have a confrontation with the evil one right, for 40 days. And during that period of time, it was time for Jesus to figure out what kind of one he was going to be, what kind of Messiah he was going to be, what kind of anointed one he was going to be. And then after that, he gets right to work around Galilee and Jerusalem doing his thing. And he had this simple but profound message, a message that we don't fully have time to unpack completely this morning, but it is a big profound, but very simple message. He says this, the kingdom of God is near. God is closer than you ever dreamed before. Putting things back together again, God's reign, God's rule in this world is present right here, right now in your life, whether you know it or not, and everyone else's life, it's in the world. It's so good. All you have to do is lean into it and trust it believe. So this is a big deal. This is a a big message. And Jesus realized that he must have had the weight of the whole world literally resting on his shoulders as he stood literally at the crossroads of time. Talk about pressure. He must have felt like the loneliest guy in the whole world. So Jesus decided right then and right there, you know what? I'm not going to do this alone. I need a team. So he gets to work. He approaches two fishermen, Simon and Andrew. Like two men with whom he must have had some sort of previous relationship because he just goes up to them and says, come, follow me. I will make you fish for people. And they do. They drop their nets and they follow him. So he must have known them in some way. His life had been intriguing enough to them. Their curiosity must have been piqued to a certain level to where when Jesus comes and says, come, follow me, I'll make you fish for people. They just drop everything and they walk down the road with Jesus. Think about that. And then the three of them go and they find two other guys, the sons of Zebedee, James and John. Like, who knows? They're also fishermen. 
The Zebedee family fishing business might have been in fierce competition with the with this Simon and Andrew fishing business. But if that's true, then it didn't matter anymore. Like fierce competitors are now on the same team because Jesus is calling. He brings them together. I think part of what the story says to us is that being a part of Jesus' team is to be a part of something bigger than yourself, to be caught up in something larger, larger than your own interests, to be part of a a people greater than we can imagine. Like To be a part of Team Jesus is to be a part of of ushering in a new era of God's reign. The kingdom of God is near. A new era of God's action and presence in the world. And as they would quickly find out, as they would really in the next story, even, as they would quickly find out, as they started following Jesus, this new era of God's reign and God's rule, of God's action and presence in this world was marked with certain things. Things like love and grace, things like peace and reconciliation, things like healing, putting things back together. And it wouldn't take them very long to figure that out at all. So the five of them eventually pick up eight more guys to round out Team Jesus at 12 disciples, and they go about doing the business of the kingdom together. By the way, the group consisting of 12 disciples doesn't doesn't even include the number of extraordinary women followers that join the group. We're not even really sure how big this group really is. We're sort of focused in on the 12, but it was a little bit larger than that. There were others there too, important others. Anyway, so we have a word for these people. Simon, Andrew, James, and John, and the others. I gave it to you earlier. The word is disciple. We call them disciples. That word comes from the Greek word meaning to learn. So they're learners. But this kind of learning isn't the schools and books kind of learning that we're usually, that's what we think about when we learn. Like you're going to go to school, you're going to download a whole bunch of information, or you're going to open a book and You're going to download, once again, a whole bunch of information, and you've learned some things. But this is different than that. Becoming a disciple, or what we might in church circles call discipleship, is much more intensive than that. It's like a full whole body immersion thing. And if we ever want to call ourselves disciples of Jesus, members of Jesus' team, Jesus' people, then... I think there are some things that we have to keep in mind. Things probably we need to remind ourselves of over and over and over and over again. Jesus doesn't waste any words. He gets right to it. He just says, come, follow me. Come. That's an action word. Follow me. Said it before a number of times, and I'll say it again. Becoming a disciple, it's just about movement. 
It's about movement. It's about following. It's not necessarily fast movement or slow movement. I think we can think of it more as, as deep movement. The following implies moving in close proximity to someone or something else, right? So following. Think about when you're carpooling and you're following somebody else on the highway, like, or you're having someone follow you. You want to make sure you can see you're close enough to where if they take an exit, you want to be able to get off the exit right away, right? So when they turn on your their blinker, you turn on your blinker, you know where you're going, Following in close proximity. Discipleship is following in close proximity to Jesus. The problem is, I don't know if we're all that good at following. I don't know if we are. Besides the fact that we like to move in our own time, we like to move in our own way, we like to move at our own pace, we like to move in our own direction, we just live in a hyper-movement world. When you think about it, we're moving all the time and we are moving really fast because we've become a culture of skimmers. Think about skimming a book or think about skimming in a speedboat on the top of, of the water. We're so busy with so many things that we don't really invest in any one or two things that, that really are worth anything worthwhile. Right? I mean, think about all the things that keep us connected to the billions of things that we're doing. TV, computers, cell phones, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. What do they do for us? They allow us to keep us connected with the billion other things that we're doing. And what we end up doing is we sort of skim across the top of all of them. I mean, how often, how often do you just sit there on your phone? And you just scroll. Like, we all got this action down. Like, we know what this is. I mean, how often do you just sit there? Or maybe you do it like this. There's a couple different ways you can scroll. So, how often do you just kind of do this? And you're just scrolling. And scroll. It's almost a mindless thing. And every once in a while, you get you, something attracts your attention. And then you click on it. Maybe it's an article or something. You start reading an article. You're like, yeah, this is interesting to me. And then you read for a little while. And then you're like, wait a second. How long is this thing? And you scroll and you're like, ooh, I ain't got time for that. Done. Exit. Click out. Done. Did you know that the average attention span of an adult in the United States of America is eight seconds like i lost y'all a long time ago like most of y'all are sleeping and done eight now there's some debate about this and you can waste a whole bunch of time like i did on google last week and some people say it's 12 seconds other people say either way i don't care that's short eight seconds 12 seconds let's go halvesies let's go in the middle 10 seconds I mean, we scroll, we, we get involved in so many things that we can be there, but we don't really, we're not really there, there. How many times are we at a place trying to be there, and yet we're scrolling on our phones again? Like we've become a, become a culture of scrollers, of skimmers. And then we think about Jesus stuff, and it can be just another thing. 
It was just another compartment. It can be a thing that there's just no depth there. I don't think Jesus calls us to be scrollers, skimmers. He says, come follow me. And Jesus wants, Jesus wants followers to move in close proximity to how good or how, how well do we follow? How well do we follow Jesus? Like, that's actually a thing that's up for debate right now. Whether or not we Jesus people actually follow Jesus. Can you believe that? That's a thing that's up for debate. How well we're following Jesus if we're following Jesus at all. So how about just making a conscious effort this week? Following Jesus wherever you are. Following Jesus at work. What if you actually made that a practice of yours? Like today, I sounds weird, I know. I'm going to follow Jesus at work. I'm going to follow Jesus at school. I'm going to follow Jesus at home. I'm going to follow Jesus in my neighborhood. I'm going to follow Jesus wherever it is that I find myself. Because we know this. Jesus isn't some imaginary friend that we just carry around in our pocket and he just magically shows up whenever we want Jesus to show up. Jesus is already in all the places we've already been or we're already going. He's already there. And if we're paying attention, if we're actually following Jesus, we'll be able to hear Jesus say, wherever it is we are, come follow me. The kingdom of God is breaking in all around you. God's reign and rule is closer than you ever imagined. Are you looking for it? So look for the things that are markers of the kingdom, things like love and grace, things like healing and opportunity for forgiveness and reconciliation. Look for those things and join in on them, Jesus says, because my kingdom is breaking in. Pay attention, join in, follow that, lean into it, trust it, believe it, give it your life wherever you are, whenever you are there. Do we do this? How well are we following Jesus? So once we get the following thing down, then when we become, I think then we become what we might think of as an apprentice. Right? I like this idea. I like this word better than disciple. Sorry, Bible. I think this one explains it in our language a little bit better, a little bit more deeply. Right? An apprentice. Think about this. Who teaches a doctor how to be a doctor? Doctors. Who teaches a mechanic how to be a mechanic? Justine, Emily? Mechanics. Mechanics. Surprise, you have to be involved. <laughs> Who teaches a teacher how to be a teacher? Teachers. Right? Who teaches Jesus people how to be like Jesus? 
Jesus. We become an apprentice. Think about that. And then before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, go, make more. Make more disciples. Now you teach them everything that I have taught you. And so this, it's this sort of explosive, expanding thing. It starts with Jesus, continues with Jesus and his followers. We become an apprentice of Jesus, becoming like Jesus. But it all started here. And I want us to think about this. In his calling them, he's actually teaching them. The way that he's doing his calling, he's actually teaching them how to be fishers of people, which says to me that the way Jesus does things is just as important as what it is he does. That's probably something we ought to think deeply about. The way that we do anything is just as important as what it is we're doing. So in his calling, the way that he's calling them, he's actually teaching, modeling for them what it's like to fish for people. That's interesting. The way he does it, he essentially communicates to them this. Like, we're not going to hook people by the mouth and make them come into this new reality of the kingdom of God. Like, that's not what's going on here. It's not like a, it's not like a, we're going to bait people and then we're going to hook them and sort of trick them into the kingdom. That's not what he's talking about. That's not the way in which he's operating here. He's super invitational and open. Come, follow me. And we're going to live in such a way that it will become a curiosity to people. That people will be like, oh, that's interesting. We're not going to force things. We're not going to coerce things. Like, look at how Jesus, just listen to how Jesus operates. He says this, come, follow me. It's profoundly invitational. There's no force there. There's no coercion there. There's no threat there. There's no telling people that you're so bad, you're going to go to hell if you don't do this there. It's just, come, follow me. I will make you fish for people. Fish for people? Like, what kind of an idea is that? Like, the first disciples who were fishermen, so it made a lot of sense for them. They would have been thinking, what in the world is he talking about? That's curious. That's fascinating. I'm going to follow and learn more about that. And a little later on, he would just show them, embody them, embody it showing them the way the kingdom operates in the world, showing love and grace and healing. By now, you've got that down because I say it all the time. So doing what Jesus does, how Jesus does it, his apprentice. Like Think of a mechanic learning how to work on a car, on a vehicle. It's like, do it, then you do it. I mean, that's how lives get transformed. That's how we get changed. That's how we help others be changed. And look, I'm going to tell you right up front, this isn't an easy way to live. It's really hard. Like, this isn't an easy path. This isn't a simple road to navigate. I mean, it's really tough, demanding stuff. If we're following and not skimming, if we're really following closely, if we're living into being an apprentice of Jesus, 
an apprentice, and maybe some apprentice of some of the most seasoned Jesus people we know, our lives will just be disrupted. Right? Because discipleship is about living a constantly disrupted life. Now, most of us are like, I don't want disruption. I don't like disruption. But that's what being a follower of Jesus constantly is. Being a follower of Jesus is, is about disrupting old, destructive patterns of behavior and patterns of, of thinking and believing. You think about this whole last year. Like this whole last year, man, it's been one big honking disruption, right? It's huge. We're uncomfortable. We don't like it. It's 2021 now. We're still uncomfortable. We don't like it. But how many of us have taken the opportunity to ask ourselves the question, what's God's invitation here? Because oftentimes when our lives get disrupted, we just sort of retreat to our old patterns of behavior. We retreat back to our old ways of thinking and we sort of barricade ourselves to make ourselves comfortable when we should be asking ourselves the question, what's God trying to teach me now? Has this disruption closed you off? Or has this disruption opened you up? As you see disruption in the world, what is that telling you? What is that teaching you about the ways that you've always thought about the world and how it works and how it ought to work? Are you looking for the love and grace and healing and forgiveness? Because the things that are opposite of that aren't the things of the kingdom. Disrupted lives. I mean, you think about the disciples, their lives were totally upended, totally disrupted. Simon, Andrew, James, and John, I mean, their lives were dismantled, essentially. And they gave up everything to be on Team Jesus. Everything. Most likely, these fishermen were savvy businessmen, and they probably weren't hurting for resources. I mean, they really had it going on. Like, they had their small business. They were making it happen. They were making money. They were successful entrepreneurs. They had, they had, Mark makes it clear that these people were reasonably well off. Like they had their own houses. Their, their businesses were large enough and prosperous enough that they could sort of hire people to work for them. James and John left their father Zebedee with the other hired men on the boat and they just left. They were contributing members of the local community. They probably took, looked after their extended families. I mean, really, they had it going on. But still, they simply and dramatically dropped their nets, allowed their lives to be completely disrupted. They didn't sell their businesses to get money for the road. They just, they just went. These, these guys allowed their lives to be disrupted. And the call of Jesus then gave them a new sense of purpose. The call of Jesus gave them a new direction. And they began to learn to pay attention to the presence of Jesus as they followed closely. They learned to see the signs of the kingdom breaking in all around them. How does your life need to be disrupted? How are you going to ask God to disrupt your life? Who in your life can help you see how your life might need to be 
disrupted. Now look, there's a lot to think about here, uh, a lot to digest. I mean, following, deep following. Are we skimming? Are we scrolling? Are we following? Apprenticeship following so closely that you are like a mechanic learning how to work on a car. That's how closely you're following Jesus. What does that look like? for you doing what Jesus does, allowing your life to be disrupted, letting go of old patterns of behavior, letting go of maybe some different ways of thinking, or at least allowing those things to be challenged and not just retreating into your own bubble, your own protective case. Like, allow yourself to be disrupted. Ask yourself, what's God's invitation here? What's God asking me to think about next. So I hope we'll all take a, a good look at ourselves and just make some decisions about what's next. Because here's the deal, in every one of our lives, and I really truly believe this in everyone's life, everyone, whether we know it or not, whether we're aware of it or not, I believe Jesus is calling, always. He's saying, he's saying, come, follow me, be a part of what I'm up to in the world. Look for signs of my presence. Look for signs of my power. Look for the signs of me operating in this world. Look for love, look for grace, look for healing, look for reconciliation. Where you find those things, you will find me. Then you'll know where to follow. Come, follow me. Let's pray.